Welcome to the Pactum. I'm Pat Abendroth with Mike Grimes, and today on episode 79, we are going to be talking about the one who was known as the most brilliant theologian ever, according to R.C. Sproul. Who in the world who is could that going be? to be Who's the, the most, most brilliant? brilliant theologian ever? I think, let's just qualify for R.C. We know that he knows things and stuff about things, but post-apostolic era, let's just at least okay, give him a yeah. little nudge there. R.C. says, so who was the most brilliant ever? And he gives the answer, much to the chagrin of some and the surprise of others, Thomas Aquinas. <gasps> Thomas Aquinas. Today's episode is going to be about Thomas Aquinas, and we're going to do an episode on Thomas Aquinas. We might say Aquinas. We might say Thomas. Um because he's important. He did a lot of writing, a lot of influence uh, in the life of the church. And it's a hot topic today. If it you really are is. It's listening a big deal. or paying attention, people love them some Thomas Aquinas and people, and people hate, hate them, them some, some Thomas, Thomas Aquinas. Aquinas. And so we're not going to pretend to uh, solve all of the debates and answer all of the haters um, <laughs> or promoters. But what we, what we do want to do today is help you to think through whether or not it's a good idea to pay attention to those who've gone before us, like Thomas Aquinas, right, and right. Uh, just kind of how to process it. So. Right. Before we get started, Pat, tell tell our listeners where we are today while we're recording, because we're no longer in my parents' basement. Well, now, <laughs> you know, there are some people who actually thought we recorded in your true, parents' basement. True, true. anyhow, you know, we are not in our normal recording area. It's I'm a little echoey. It's um, a little different. It's a little different, but uh, the, we have dim lighting, so that's kind of nice. Mood lighting. I was looking for a restaurant one time when I was traveling, and someone asked me, the, the criteria was, did I want a place with dim lighting? Oh. And he said it with kind of a funny accent. I'm not going to imitate him because I'll sound like I'm making fun of certain kinds of people. But he wanted to know, you know, that was how we determined what kind of food. It wasn't Chinese. It wasn't Indian food. It wasn't Americana. It was, are you looking for a place with dim lighting or not? That's super interesting. So we have dim lighting. We do have in dim lighting Actum here. Studio it's it's today. better for audio recording purposes. So That's- new studio, but not all studioized yet. Not completely It's finished. not Pactumized. It's a work in progress. Yeah, we do have the Pactum merch in front of us, at least some of us. Yep. Some of it, and I will shake the snow globe. The snow globe is here. It's made its move to the new location, and the benefit of this new location is I can see straight across from me an autographed picture of Stephen Curtis <laughs> Chapman. <laughs> and he's not even lying. He's telling the truth. Oh, man. All I can see is Mike Grimes, and I can I can see, actually see his diploma on the wall. You can. Uh, of the studio. He just wants to remind me that the studio is <laughs> occupied by somebody who has a degree from Belmont University. There you go. That's so, super important. It is. <laughs> so we'll uh, sound better over time as things get developed a little bit. Might introduce a little video action eventually. But it's nice to be somewhere new because we actually, to, to, if the truth were to be known or told, uh, we were actually in our conference room and it was doubling as a studio. And uh, I don't yeah. know. We're over it. We need, Yeah, we're over it. Time bigger and better things. Bigger and better That's things. That's what's happening on the Pactum. The, uh, Pactum. That's right. Bigger and better and more boisterous and more beatific. <laughs> and here we oh, go. Boy, here we go. Uh, Again. Well, let's get to our episode on Thomas Aquinas. Who, what about Aquinas? So let's let's, let's give some qualifiers yes, first. Some qualifiers. That's important. Uh, we are not Thomists. You're not. We're not Thomists. Okay. We're, we're not fanboys. I, I, thought, I thought it was in your bio. <laughs> it's the number one line <laughs> item of my bio. Mike Grimes. 
Thomas. Thomas. I just like to say it. <laughs> Thomas. Thomas. Yeah, we're not we're not fanboys. We we do think he gets some things wrong, and uh, true, we're, we're not some trying big things. to be experts here on the Pactum, and we're not trying to solve all the debates. We know a lot of things about a lot of things, but yeah. This isn't really in our wheelhouse. Yeah. So we, we do know that he matters, though, and uh, we want to try to uh, bring a little maybe clarity to the situation, who he is, and what's going on for those listeners here on the Pact. Yep. And we're pastors, and so we want people that we pastor to know the ins and outs, the ups and downs, and all of that. And so this might just help people in general. Uh, right. It might not help the experts other than to give us hate mail or yeah. send us some checks. Yeah. At or info not. at <laughs> yeah. Gospel Coalition. <laughs> okay. All right. So, preview, so what we're going to do is we're going to talk about who he was, who Thomas Aquinas was, uh, why he matters, uh, what, 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 what should we make of him, what do we think about him, and maybe some words of caution. To friend you. or foe friend with or a friend. little bit of caution. Precaution, caution. Will it float? <laughs> we did that on an episode, didn't we? Will it cult? Will it cult? We did That's Will right. it cult. Yep. Yes. Okay. okay. Let's start. Uh, let, let, give us a little bit of bio about Thomas Aquinas. Mike. Thomas Aquinas. Who was Thomas Aquinas? Let's see. He lived from twelve twenty five to twelve seventy four. I think that very well may be the earliest dates I have ever said on the Pactum. Seriously, when we're so, talking about so theologians. Medieval. Medieval. I like to say that word too. Medi- medieval. Medieval. Yes. He was an Italian theologian. Uh, And some of his major writings, possibly his most greatest influential work that Everybody talks about the Summa. The Summa Theologica. Or is it Theologica? I I liked your first one better. Okay, Summa Theologica. Sin, if you're going to sin, sin boldly. Okay, all right. It was a systematic presentation of Christian doctrine in philosophical terms. Okay. People don't, one reason people don't like him is because of his philosophical bent. Yes. But he also wrote Bible commentaries and he was... Not just about philosophy. It wasn't just about Aristotle and such. Uh, definitely loved God. In fact, he had criticisms for uh, what was happening in the church and with the clergy because people were not wholehearted about it. He was troubled. He was troubled by the fact that it was just formality and going through the motions. And uh, we like him for things like that. He really wanted you to love God with heart, soul, mind, and strength, to be all in, if you will. Those are positive things. But Mike, I interrupted you. You were telling us about Aquinas. What are some other things that might carry over into today when he's doing doctrine of God stuff? Yes. Things like that. Uh, A lot of what the debate swirls around with Thomas Aquinas now has to do with doctrine of God. Uh, But he taught that God is simple. Oh, see, that's important. Yeah, which is indivisible is what we're talking about. We're talking about God's simplicity. Um, since he has no potential for division. So he's not made up of parts. Right. right. Uh, so Aquinas would have been highlighting that. He also uh, talked about how God is infinite, since pure act as such is unlimited, having no potentiality to limit it. Mike, I think it's interesting when you read a brief biography of Aquinas, even from a dictionary or an encyclopedia, some of the things that uh, he's known for as far as us knowing God by way of analogy because of the creature-creator distinction, using words like univocal versus equivocal and all that, it makes me think, oh, those are things I actually read about in systematic theologies today and verbiage that I have to utilize if I'm teaching on the doctrine Mm -hmm. of God today. So I might be relying upon things Aquinas talked about and is famous for, even if I don't know who to attribute it to. Sure, yeah. He's also known for his ethics, writing a lot about ethics, uh, writing about things like natural law, natural theology. Again, right. one reason why people don't like him if they're not fans. Uh, but then maybe on the lighter side, yeah. 
<laughs> on the lighter side, you know, this just makes me think of myself. I've just come off a summer vacation. I've got, <laughs> I, I'm kind of over over my ideal weight because I've been eating really, really good, and I've got a, a little bit of a suntan. And so <laughs> R.C. Sproul says, Thomas Aquinas, he was a big man, portly, suntanned, <laughs> with a large head. That just sounds like... Me, me right me, now. No, come on, packed him, <laughs> verse. It's me, not Pat. <laughs> oh, RC says he towered over his companions, no less in his massive physical bulk than his titanic intellect. His appearance was so ungainly. Never used that word before. His appearance was so ungainly as a youth that he was dubbed the big dumb ox of Sicily. <laughs> That's so funny. You know, oh, when I was man. growing up, actually, I think my sister used to call my brother a big ox. Oh, really? And so maybe she, you know, was into Aquinas and we didn't even know it. You big dumb ox. <laughs> That's so funny. A big man, a portly man. That's what we're talking about today. On With, the a suntan, so <laughs> With a suntan. So it's a good, good way to roll. Oh, man. So not a big, long biography of who he was, but a huge intellect, very influential. Yes. If you're going to learn anything about theology, it won't take very, or historical theology, it won't take long to learn something about Thomas Aquinas. Right. Even yep. sometimes in philosophy classes, secular universities, they're still talking about his arguments for God yep. and the existence of God. Yep. So he's a player. Yes. Yeah. So why is Aquinas such a hot topic today? I mean, he's a medieval theologian. And, uh, some people don't like that. Some people don't like that. Why is he such a hot topic? What's caused the resurgence in the Thomas Aquinas buzz? I think we have. I have a long list of reasons why he's uh, on people's radar on their Twitter Twitter dar. Yeah, the Twitter. <laughs> Is that a thing? <laughs> and other places. So th- just thinking about the doctrine of God debates that, right. are, that are raging right now, things yeah. like the simplicity of God, that he's not made up of parts. Well, that actually is a huge topic in evangelicalism, in reform circles, whether or not God is simple, uh, whether or not God is made, he has passions or parts. Well, that comes back to Aquinas was dealing with those kinds of issues right, even right. way back when. And uh, if you are caught off guard and you're not aware of the history, the water that's under the bridge, you might be be repeating some of the same errors, probably unintentionally. Uh, Thomas is also big right now because of the Trinity debates relating to the doctrine of God. So uh, Packham listeners, surely, unless you've been living under a rock, which wouldn't be a bad place to live sometimes, you hear about the debates going on. It's why we've had certain conferences here, even at the church. We've had people people on the podcast before talking about some of the Trinity debates. We've talked about the EFS heresy, right. the eternal functional subordination of the sun heresy promoted by people like Owen Strand and Bruce Ware. I think evangelicals caught off guard. They didn't weren't in touch with the history of the debates. And all of a sudden, before you know it, they're sounding like heretics, even though they don't mean to. Mm. Uh, and so what do they do? They can either say they're sorry, like some evangelicals have, or they can dig their heels in as they have and uh, start you know, bashing people like Aquinas and saying, well, that's just because you guys are into the scholastics. Well, maybe it's because uh, you're just not very well read, <laughs> at least from where I sit. And so Aquinas is a hot topic because people are saying, hey, don't look at me in my error. Uh, you guys are just bad because you like people like Thomas Aquinas. Right. Yeah. Why else would people not like Aquinas? Another reason, uh, opposition to natural theology has become a thing you see around on the interwebs. Or even natural law. Anything natural. Yeah, anything natural. People are kind of opposed to that. 
Uh, and so Thomas Aquinas, as you mentioned, wrote some of these things uh, about natural law, natural theology. And so he kind of resurfaces in the discussion about those issues as well. Yeah. Um, you can see two of our episodes, uh, one on natural law, uh, episode 27. That was a great episode. That was a fantastic episode. And then another even better episode, because it had a special guest, uh, Dave Andrunen, on natural law in episode 52. You can check those out to see what we're kind of referring to when we talk about natural theology or natural law. Yep, so that second Aquinas one. Aquinas comes up again in those issues. Yep, that second one is called DVD on natural law. So right. if you can't find episode 52, you can find that one. Right. Uh, we, we think natural law is biblical because um, it's talked about in the Bible, even if it's not under that label. Right. Uh, it's not an Aquinas kind of thing. It's a Reformed theology kind of thing, and it's right. a Bible kind of thing. But people who don't like natural law, uh, who aren't fans, uh, and this jumps me ahead a little bit, people who typically people who are into theonomy don't like natural law. They te- seem to have an allergy to anything natural. <laughs> And so they make it sound like, oh, that's just an Aquinas thing. That's just a Thomistic kind of thing, which is absolutely positively not true um, because it's not just a Thomas thing. But just so you're aware, uh, oftentimes people mentally associate natural law with Aquinas who did affirm it, but he wasn't the only one who affirmed it. So it's big for that reason. I think another reason why Thomas is in the news, uh, maybe he's not in the news, (laughs) but he's in our kind of news circles is because people are ignorant of the Reformation and Reformation history and how to approach, you know, where we fit in history. Did our, did we start, did Reformed theology start with the Reformation? How about putting it that way? Yeah, there you go. And in one sense, of course it did. But in another sense, it absolutely did not happen then. It didn't give birth then. It didn't originate then, I guess is the word I'm looking for. Um, that theology, even during the time of the Reformation, was done in a churchly context. Hmm, yeah. And so they paid attention to Aquinas, and he was important. But people don't often think that today, and they think, oh, if it's happened during the medieval period, it must be bad because all of those guys were just Roman Catholic or mm. something like that. Yeah. And that's that's just ignorant, and it relates to biblicism because we're not uh, paying attention to doing theology in the course of history, um, and we're not paying attention to how the Spirit of God has worked before us. Yeah. yeah. So there is a really good article we'll put in the show notes that relates to this matter yes, of why yeah. Thomas is so controversial today. A uh, great article that Keith Matheson of Ligonier puts out, and it's uh, a Table Talk article. We'll link to it. We would commend it to you. It's called something like, Should We Read Thomas Aquinas? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. You want to give us just an excerpt of it, Mike? Yeah, he says, Much of recent American Reformed theology has been caught up for some time in a distorted form of biblicism that has fallen into the trap of trying to reinvent the theological wheel in areas where doing so is fraught with danger. In particular, the doctrine of the divine attributes and the doctrine of the Trinity. Yeah, just a great little sample of an awesome article. It's really easy to read. But uh, notice he he points out Biblicism. Uh, We have an episode on Biblicism. Biblicism typically, not always, but is typically used uh, in the Reformed world, in Reformed writers. It's used of people who are going to say, I'm just going to start over from scratch. I'm just going to make things up as I go with Bible verses and not pay attention to how certain things have been ordered or structured or spoken about in the past. Uh, And again, it's sort of like reinventing the wheel and it turns out square. So biblicism, me, my Bible, uh, and I can solve all the problems of the world, not paying attention to how theology has been structured before me because the Holy Spirit did exist before me (laughs) and has been working in the life of the church. So we would commend the Keith Matheson of Ligonier uh, article to you. It's outstanding. It's a great place to start if you want to jump into this whole matter of Thomas 
Aquinas. Thomas Aquinas. Yeah. So, okay, how should Christians think of Thomas Aquinas? That, I think, is a big question that a lot of our listeners may even have because of all this debate they've seen or people fighting over whether we should read Thomas Aquinas or not. Uh, how should they think about him? How should they, for that matter, think about medieval theologians? We're talking those from 500s to 14, 1500. How should they think of all this? And Mike people? and Pat are such big egomaniacs. Oh. And the pactum, we like to tell you how to think. Yeah, this is what you think. And there is no other way to think apart from pactum thought. We, we do want to offer some suggestions uh, yeah. uh, as to how, how might we approach this wisely, uh, pactum-ly. <laughs> <laughs> How, how should we think through this matter of someone like Aquinas or even sure, medieval yeah. thought, again, 500 to fourteen or 1500, Christians who came before, after the book of Acts, and Christians who came before the Protestant Reformation as Protestant Reformed Christians, how should we think about them? Yeah. Well, uh, we would recommend that you see the history of the Christian church as our history. Hmm. So that medieval period is ours. It doesn't belong to the Roman Catholic Pope. Hmm. Uh, It doesn't belong to them. It's actually ours. It's our history. So all of church history is our history. We've had some really weird uncles along the way. (laughs) Uh, We we, we don't want to claim all the things that have happened. There have been heretics who needed to be removed from the family. But it's actually our family history. Uh, You get this sense from Calvin as he utilizes Augustine so much against the Romanists. Hmm. In a sense, Calvin is saying, hey, wait a second. He's he's ours. He agrees with us, not you guys. You guys claim him and name buildings after him or whatever, um, schools, but he's actually our guy, and I'm going to utilize how the Spirit of God worked in his life as he studied the Bible, and I'm going to claim him as my own, even though I may think he didn't have everything right. Mm, He might have had some weird uncle-like tendencies, (laughs) but he did belong to the family. Maybe this is a helpful way to think of it. I've thought of it this way, and I think it's helpful for me as I'm trying to understand thinking about our history and knowing it's our history, but the Protestants are not the ones deviating historically. It's actually the Romanists. Yeah, and the Protestants... They're the ones deviating. Yeah, and the Protestants are calling them on it, saying, hey, wait a second. Um, We're going to go back to our history, some of these people that you even claim as your guys, like Augustine, uh, and you guys are actually the ones deviating from the script. You guys are actually the ones deviating from the Bible. Uh, I forgot who I heard this illustration from or who I saw it from the first time. It may have been John Fesco, but don't think of Protestantism. Uh, don't think of it as somehow there's a tree trunk and then we're the weird branch mm, that yeah. branches off right. into some kind of deviation. Sure, yeah. Actually, the the trunk belongs to us. Yeah. Uh, the tree belongs to us, and there is this weird growth. There's this abscess yeah. <laughs> that, that needs to be trimmed away, and that's not Protestantism. That's actually the the popery. The popery. And we're not talking about things that smell smell nice. <laughs> that's <laughs> so that's what we mean by saying it's actually our history. Mm, yeah. uh, again, we don't want to claim everything that's happened. Right. Uh, just like I don't want to claim everything all of my family members have ever done throughout <laughs> right. yeah. the history of my family. But but when we don't do this, when we don't pay attention to history, we tend to err. And yeah. so let's see it as our history. And uh, we still may err, but maybe we don't have to err quite so... Um, Awfully, so grievously. Yeah. Maybe one more thing before we move on to talk about Thomas in particular. 
what's been helpful for me is thinking in terms of the Council of Trent, 1545 mm. to 1563, uh, where Rome, the Roman Catholic Church, damns the gospel. Mm. They yeah. pronounce an anathema upon justification by grace alone, through faith alone, on account of Christ alone. That's when they officially damn the gospel. Mm. And that's, that's a big watermark for me. So I might think of Thomas Aquinas and say, you know what? I think he's wrong here. I think he's wrong there. I think that leads to bad things happening in the Roman Catholic Church, as a matter of fact, later on. Uh, but I'm gonna, I don't want to say I'm giving him a total break, but I'm at least a little bit more sympathetic and a little bit more tolerant, if you will, because he's, he's way pre-Trent. Sure, yeah. um, he's not Robert Bellarmine. Yeah. Uh, he, he's not the one coming out swinging. There's a lot of diversity on different issues. And I'm going to say, I think he's wrong on this and he's right on that. But there's, I, I'm a lot more, I, I'm more, I'm more tolerant, not of specific views, but of people who've come before then. So it may not be right, it may be wrong, but my particular take on things, I'm going to call wrong, wrong, and right, right, but I'm going to be a bit more um, tolerant, if you will, to toward people who are pre-Trent hmm. uh, when things are actually hammered out and this is where we are and we damn the gospel. Uh, if Thomas Aquinas was that guy, then I would have a lot less sympathy and a lot less... Um, kind affection. And I think R.C. Sproul wouldn't have called him the greatest ever. Sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay. So thinking more specifically about Thomas, how are we, how are we thinking? Remember, we're talking about how we think about these medieval theologians. How do we think about Thomas Aquinas as Christians? Uh, we like what uh, Dave Andrunen says uh, regarding Thomas Aquinas, where he says uh, that he thinks of him, that he's critically appreciative. That's a great way to put it. Thomas Aquinas. He says that in his book, Politics After Christendom. We've referenced that here on the Pactum many times before, but he's critically appreciative yep. so of him. D- Dave is a friend and Dave is not a Thomist. Right. Um, but that doesn't mean he doesn't want to read him and he doesn't mean he doesn't want to appreciate him and learn. Uh, and so critically appreciative. Sure. Yeah. I'm, I bet that we have some listeners who are critically, critically appreciative, appreciative of, us. <laughs> of us. Okay. <laughs> Aquinas wrote a ton right. and was very influential in the lives of many reformers and many who would come after him. And so we think it's important that we would pay attention to Thomas because he's been so influential. Um, and so we want to admire him. We want to be critically appreciative. Right. I looked it up this week in my Bible program. I looked up uh, in Francis Turretin's three-volume set that we like so much, yeah. that Genevan champion of Reformed Orthodoxy in the 1600s. Turretin references him over 100 times. Hmm. And yes, sometimes negatively, uh, but also quite positively. Right. Yeah. You, you you have to acknowledge him. You have to acknowledge his influence. Uh, and again, Turretin. Uh, again, last time I checked, he's pretty Protestant. <laughs> yes, <he is. laughs> like raging, foaming at the mouth Protestant, if you will, b- crawl over broken glass Protestant, uh, and die for justification sola fide. Turretin acknowledges Aquinas and interacts with him, engages him, and definitely utilizes him in a positive way sometimes. It sounds to me like he must have read Van Drunen's book. He must have. He's critically critically appreciative. appreciative. Now, some pushback (laughs) comes from people who don't like Aquinas, um, people who are into deviant doctrine of God stuff today, uh, for example. And they're going to say, no, Aquinas is bad because, you know, he's just a scholastic. Scholastic. And people like to beat up on scholasticism. Mm Mm-hmm. 
That would actually include Turretin, by the way. He is considered a Protestant scholastic. Uh, scholastic just means school, uh, school of theology. I don't know if you knew this, Mike, but originally scholastic just meant free time. For serious? Yeah. So, you know, you're just going to go hang out at the pool because you're a scholastic. Because I'm a scholastic. Because you have free time. <laughs> I had no idea. Are you serious? I think it's because you weren't, you know, hoeing the weeds out of your field and you weren't smithing if you were a smith. Sure. And you had free time so you, you could read a, books. Okay. Gotcha. Right? Yep. You could, you could do that. I so. just think book fairs. Why? Scholastic oh, book yeah. fairs. Yeah, you know. It just means learning <laughs> school of theology. So, it, it okay, so it is true that sometimes... For example, Calvin or I think Luther, different reformers, they would be critical of the scholastics. Uh-huh. But that's kind of lame history, if you will, because then at the same time, they had a, Calvin had a school. Yeah. So he's critical of the schools, but he has a school. Right. Well, what you do is you find out over time that when you look a little closer, and historians have done this, they've done the, the, the work for us, they figure out, you know what, he's against certain schools, hmm. certain people, but he just uses that label, the scholastics. Sure. He does, yeah. He's not painting with a broad brush. He's painting with a finer brush. Hmm. We'll put this in the show notes. We're not going to recommend it to everyone, but if you are a pastor or if you're someone who thinks that scholasticism is bad, uh, there's a book that would really help you, and it's called Introduction to Reformed Scholasticism by Van Asselt. I'm not sure if that's how you say it or not, uh, but we'll put the link out there. And it's going to help you see through some of this kind of stuff. Sure, yeah. Uh, that it's not a right way to read history to say, oh, scholastics were bad and the reformers didn't like the scholastics. No, they didn't like certain scholastics, but the way they spoke of them at times, they didn't develop which scholastic they were being critical of. Yeah. So what should we make of Aquinas? I think what we should make of Aquinas is uh, we need to claim him. We don't like all of his weird uncle tendencies. Right. Um, but there's so much that he had right. And when it comes to the doctrine of God, the reformers didn't say, oh, yeah, that terrible Aquinas. Right. Yeah. Uh, no, they would have been critical of his justification views yes, and other yeah. views. Uh, but they didn't say, but let's chuck everything. everything. No, yeah. let's actually pay attention. Uh, and it's okay that he was influenced by philosophy because everyone is influenced by philosophy. Right. Probably most enslaved to it if you don't acknowledge it. Right. Um, so let's appreciate him, but let's be discerning and we're not going to believe everything he said, uh, but we are going to pay attention lest we step in it. Right. Yeah. I think, can we say that that on the pactum? Sure. Yeah. Okay. Step in it. Yeah. Okay. I I think in that Keith Matheson article, he referenced, uh, Martin Luther and said Mm kind of similarly, Hey, if we're going to take one thing that we disagree with on Thomas and say, now we got to throw it all out. What about Luther? I mean, if we disagree with Luther on his Lord's supper views, uh, are we just going to throw everything out, or are we going to say, you know what, we're going to be critically appreciative of all of Luther's That's right. Writings, that's a good way to go. Right? For sure. So I think that's helpful to think of it that way. Same way with Thomas Aquinas. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. So what are some precautions? Okay, so here's where we pick a fight with both sides. Here's where we get so, into Here's where we step into it. That's right. So all of you total into Thomas fanboys and fangirls out there. Um, we, we want to offend you, perhaps, hopefully not. Uh, and for all of you, Thomas haters who have deviant doctrine of God perspectives, <laughs> um, I think what we need to do is say, first of all, um, let's, let's not pretend like we're the first Christians. Let's not be biblicists. Right. Uh, let's not do that. Um, don't be so afraid that if people, oh, if people think Thomas Aquinas had some things right, they're going to swim the Tiber. Um, <laughs> And just for the record, I, I ha- one of your Pactum hosts, uh, <laughs> iPad Abendroth, have ridden my bicycle 
over the Tiber. Yeah. Uh, I've ridden my bicycle next to the Tiber, but I don't plan on swimming the Tiber. You don't. <laughs> I don't think I'll ever become Roman Catholic. Uh-huh. Uh, you heard it here on the Pact. There it is. But what we want to, I, I actually think if we try to hide Aquinas and his good insights that actually are biblical and that the reformers also adopted, if we try to hide people like Aquinas from people, then they're eventually going to read him and they're going to say, duh, this guy's got it. He's got it figured out. Sure. Yeah. So I, I'm actually the opposite of thinking, oh, Oh, they might swim the Tiber if they read Aquinas. I'm thinking, you know what? Let's read everybody carefully and yeah. say, here's where he's wrong. Here's where he's right. Um, but to to not acknowledge any rightness, if you will, I think is a problem. Hmm. So I'm going to tell people that I pastor, you know what, Thomas Aquinas? Yep, he's got some things right. He's yeah. got some things wrong. And we would be fools to ignore him. Yeah, right. Uh, so he's going to help us. So people say, oh, I became Roman Catholic after I read the Fathers. Well, why didn't you read the Fathers, quote unquote, when you were in seminary sure. uh, and, and be introduced under good tutelage saying, you know what, Aquinas, God used him in a great way in these areas. Mm. And we better think about the doctrine of simplicity. We better think about other issues that are important uh, instead of trying to start over from scratch, me and my Bible and the Holy Spirit. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then let's also say, and look, he's definitely wrong on how justification works. Right. Yeah. Let, let's do that up front. That's how I'm going to do it with people I pastor. Sure. Okay. Yeah. So now that that's being critical of those who are, are haters on Thomas. Haters. Yeah. Haters. So as far as the Thomas fanboys are concerned, and I do think there are those who fawn after Thomas as fanboys all too frequently, <laughs> and it's really freaking Freaky. me <laughs> out. Uh, let's not do that either. Let's give qualifiers. Let's give qualifications. Sure, yeah. Um, he has problems. And yeah. so let's just acknowledge those problems. And let's not, when people are listening to our podcasts or they're reading our articles, I do think it is responsible for us as Protestant Christians when we're interviewing people who officially are a part of a church that damns the gospel, for example. Sure, yeah. Um, you might want to give a qualifier. Yeah. So yeah. if we had Peter Kreft on our show, uh, or Peter Kreft, I don't know how you want to say it, who's a Roman Catholic apologist, uh, I'm at least somewhere, maybe after he's left the studio yeah. and mm-hmm. he's not on the Pactum sofa anymore. <laughs> maybe we're going to say, give some kind of clarification that we're, this is not a whole endorsement. Maybe he has a lot of good things to say about Aquinas, but I, to give a full endorsement of someone without any qualifier, I think is problematic as a Protestant who might be doing a podcast or a publication. Oh, <laughs> We probably should give some kind of pontificate qualifier. (laughs) Let's be responsible and not give the impression that we are Thomas or that we are somehow um, something other than Protestant Christians. Mike, you you better get me off the couch. Yeah, I mean, better get me off the sofa. Yeah, I mean, we want to be careful and we want to have, we want to be clear in the way that we're presenting these issues to church members, I think of, when if you're going to be over pendulum swinging, trying to defend the use of Aquinas to the yep. point where you're now having church members being like, I got to buy every Aquinas book I can. Yeah. Well, then maybe you've not been as careful as we ought uh, to say, you know, there are some great things that Thomas Aquinas has written that we can benefit from, and here are those things. But here are some things you might want to be a little bit hesitant to jump in the deep end of the pool and read just because maybe you're not in a place where you can read that and be able to have the 
uh, ability to discern uh, what's right and what's not. Uh, So be careful when you're reading about his justification views. But if you want to read about doctrine of God, by all means, here's a great thing you could read from Aquinas that might be helpful to you. Yep. So just trying to bring some balance to the issue for church members, for people that are interested trying to figure it all out. We really don't want to just go all in. If it's you not want, the end all meets all. If you want to read, if you want to learn about justification, uh, read John Fesco's John book. Fesco, yeah. uh, and if you want to read about doctrine of God, you can also read Fesco. Sure. <laughs> uh, but actually, that's actually a really good example because I would put John Fesco and his knowledge of sola fide, given his volume that he wrote on it, against anyone hmm. um, to debate the issue. Uh, he is crawl over broken glass, drink black coffee, even though he drinks kombucha, <laughs> <laughs> clear on justification by grace alone, through faith alone, on account of the finished work of Christ alone. Right. And yet, and, and he, will, he will die on that hill, thankfully, and yet he will say, you know what, we probably should read Aquinas to be better informed right. about whatever issue, whether it's that issue as an opponent or issues related to things like the doctrine of God. Right. So actually, that's, a, that's actually a really good example. Yeah. So what are some resources as we're wrapping up this episode on Aquinas? What are some resources we can recommend? First, there's, there are some great ones, right? Yeah. There's, there's two really good um, lectures that R.C. gives, R.C. Sproul, uh-huh. uh, Heroes of the Christian Faith, Part 1 and Part 2. That's, so that's audio. might be video, too. I'm not sure. I listen yep. to it on the bike. And then there's, there are two really good table talk articles that we can yep. link to as well, the one by Matheson. I think the other one is actually by R.C. Okay. Yeah, we'll make sure to link to all four of those. Uh, resources from Ligonier on yep, this. Yep, and then we also have a book that we could recommend, probably more so for pastors or academics, uh, and that one's that one is called Aquinas Among the Protestants, mm-hmm. uh, different articles by different authors. Van Drunen is one of the editors, and I think there's actually a new volume coming out okay. that Barrett might be editing. I think I saw something. Mike Horton might be a contributor to that. Haven't read it yet. It's not out yet. And then we will link also to that book on reformed scholasticism yeah. uh, that some might find helpful. Thank you for listening to the Pactum. We're having a great time. We find great encouragement from helping you. Uh, so if you would, give us five stars. If you would, share us with a friend. Get the word out there about Mike and Pat on the Pactum. <laughs> yes. Thanks for listening to the Pactum. As always, you can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and the like. You can email us, connect at thepactum.org. We'll see you next time on The Pactum. Thank you.